based on a little bit off of the last sermon when I talked about how do we give glory to God? Everything we do, right? And it's ultimately in obedience to every law he has, not just the Ten Commandments. It would be glorifying God physically, mentally, and spiritually. And so physically is the laws of health. And spiritually, the Ten Commandments. But there are laws that govern the mind. And so we're going to spend a little time talking about laws that govern the mind. And of course, we're only going to be able to talk a little bit about that because it's such a broad topic. Uh, but we do need to maybe come down with some laws. That's something I'd like to work on is, you know, some de- definitive laws like the eight laws of health or the Ten Commandments, but haven't quite boiled them down yet. But uh, still a lot of work to do with that. But anyway, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for making us in your image, um, a counterpart to your beautiful character, um, to make us like yourself physically, mentally, spiritually. What a, what a high honor we have. And to embrace that honor, help us, Father, by thy grace to embrace every perfect law about our being that we can give you the glory in everything because you are worthy. So right now, Father, we just want to lay this service in your hands, asking that you would be uplifted and honored. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Click. Okay. Doesn't help to say click, does it? Oh, on. So, I want us to kind of begin with this, the idea that we're a social being. You know, we can't really talk about mental health or human relationships unless we talk about the fact that we were designed for relationships, right? So, in Genesis 2.18, and the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And I don't think it just meant having a spouse. I think it could be any kind of companion. It could be children. It could be human companionship. Now, Adam was able to name all the animals, and I think he enjoyed all the animals. But he still, in fact, we don't think of Adam being sad, but he looked at all the animals, and there was something for everybody else, but there wasn't an equal for him. And he even had angels come and visit him, right? And would talk with him. And he enjoyed that. He enjoyed the animals. He enjoyed the the angels. He enjoyed it when God would walk with him in the cool of the day. But still, he needed something. He wasn't complete until he had someone equal to himself. This is important. Because God said, let what? Us. You know, God has always had, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they've had each other. And that's important. We don't just have one being who's been all by himself. And this is part of how God made us in his image. He created us to have as close of a relationship as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Because that's what it means to be who we are. It's how God made us. He never created us to be sad or alone. But in a, loneliness is probably the, the greatest or the worst, most widespread mental health problem in our society. And God never made us that way. And when we say equal, we're not just talking about having another human being as a friend. 
I'm talking about also being equal, not just as a human being, but equal in belief. Because you could have a human companion who could lead you completely in the wrong direction. Is this right? That what really fills your need is having someone who thinks and has the same desire to be like Jesus. To have that same kind of relationship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have. That's what we mean by equal. This is how God made us. God never meant for this world to be falling apart, that anybody would be uh, alone or misled. So for us, when we talk about human relationships, you and I want to become the best person we can be to help other people who want to be the best person they can be in Christ Jesus. And this is the kind of fellowship that we're looking for. This is what church life is all about. Is that we're all committed to be inspired by the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in that right direction. We'll talk a little bit more of that as we go. Now, this is our scripture reading, Isaiah 50, verse 4, that Patience read for us. It says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how. I should know. I should know this. How to speak a word in season to him that is weary. I should know how to do that. I wasn't born knowing how to do it. I need to learn how to do it better. But this is a verse for all of us. All of us should know this. That's part of human relationships. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. He wakeneth morning by morning. He waketh my ear to hear as the learned. So, we do need to have a daily devotional for ourselves. Is this right? We need to begin with ourselves to know how we can be more like Jesus, but we've got to take a little time in that devotional that I can learn how to take what I've learned and help someone else who's weary. Because it's not all about me. Because human relationships is all about us. So part of human relationships is being there for other people and actually contemplatively thinking about that. How can I help someone who's weary and how many people are weary? Everybody is. Some people are weary just physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. And everybody's burdened with sin. So in reality, the whole world's weary. The question is, am I going to, as a Christian, spend any time thinking about anybody else but myself, even in my devotional time? Can I take what I'm reading and think about how would I share this with someone else? And we'll talk a little bit more about it because what you could share could be something that's encouraging. Or maybe it's something that's informative. Knowledge. Okay, those are two different things. But to know how. Where do you go to learn how to do something? You go to school. Part of human relationships is being in school. Because none of us were born knowing how to help people who are weary. Will we ever graduate from that? No. But we're all needing to be in that school. Every day we need to take some time and be a student. A student in God's word, not just to get right answers, but to help people who are weary. That's, that's part of our educational. Okay? Because listen to this statement. Many have fainted and become discouraged in the great struggle of life when what? Just one, Can you imagine just one word? 
of kindly cheer and courage would have strengthened to overcome and never lose a what? Wow. Never lose an opportunity means I can't do this by myself. How do I say the right thing to someone? How do I know how to do this? And never lose an opportunity unless God is guiding me. Unless I begin the day with God to use me in his service, right? Because if I don't, I'm going to lose all kinds of opportunities. But God never made us that way. He doesn't want us to lose an opportunity to even say one kind word. We can do that. How much does that cost to say a kind word? 50 cents? doesn't cost anything to say a kind word, right? Never lose an opportunity to say a word to encourage and inspire hope. We cannot tell how far-reaching may be our tender words of kindness, our Christ-like effort to lighten some burden. The erring can be restored in no other way than in the spirit of meekness, gentleness, and tender love. That's quite a statement. In no other way. So if I told someone the truth, rah, 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 they're probably not going to accept it. Why? Because I didn't tell the truth? It was because of the way I said it. But if you say it in the tenderest, kindest, they're more apt to listen, right? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech what? Boy, I'm telling you. How many feel like you could always, with grace, speak to someone without God? It's not possible. You see this? This is why every day we have to begin by being filled with the Spirit with the purpose of being able to help those who are weary. Because that's the only way you can always do it. Right? But this is what human relationships were meant to be. This is, what, this is God's standard of human relationships. Think how far we've fallen as human beings. People get passed by all the time. God never meant it to be that way. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So for grace, it's not so much talking about the power of God and grace here, but pleasant words. Always with grace. Pleasant words. Seasoned with salt, meaning more in this context, wise conversation. So when you meet people, and you're maybe witnessing or whatever, you want to be wise, and you want to be pleasant. But wisdom could be information. You want to give people the right information. That would be salt. Salt is good information. But it's also encouraging. Sometimes people don't need more information. They just need to be encouraged. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Some people already know which day is the Sabbath. You don't need to give them another Sabbath tech. You just need to encourage them. There's a lot of truths people believe. They're already convinced about you just need to, we just need to help them, you know, make that decision or encourage them to stick with it. Christ himself did not suppress one word of truth, but he spoke it always, always in love. He exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful, kind attention in his intercourse with the people. He never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. That's life. Now take this, learning something to say to encourage someone, right? Information, um, encouraging words. But let's take it a step further. 
Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The reason to take some time in your devotional, how what you're reading, you could say to someone else who's weary, to say the right thing and with pleasant words and like salt where it's information or it's encouraging is ultimately for this goal. What's the goal? To make a disciple for Christ. The harvest is ready, but labors are few. How are you going to get more labors? Well, we better know how to speak a word to the weary, start off with, right? Um, but we've got to take it further than that. You see, your purpose to ultimately speaking kind words is in hope that this person becomes a laborer for Christ. You see, we don't just want to be a bunch of nice people. We want to be nice people. We, have, we want to be nice people with a purpose. There's a purpose for behind nice. Number one, that's the way we're supposed to be. But number two, we really want people to become a disciple for Christ. Because when they become a disciple of Christ and then they share with others what they've learned, how do they feel about life? They feel better about themselves? When they can take their faith and make a difference in another human's life, what are they going to want to keep doing? Sharing their faith. And this is why when we helped start a little day academy years ago out in Wisconsin, we took the students out witnessing every day. And I remember this young girl who brought the first person she'd ever brought to Christ. She was so excited that God used her to bring someone to Jesus. What did she want to do? Oh, she just wanted to share Christ all the more. But this is our goal. We don't just want people to even just be a member of the church. We want people to be laborers for Christ. Because if they're laboring for Christ, that's going to create other laborers, isn't it? Then we can go home. Martin Luther said, while others are debating whether faith produces works, real faith has already ran out in the streets and is, is already working. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. We don't need to debate about this because true faith is going to go out and start doing the work. Yes. You know, you're going to take an interest in people. Helping people make the right decisions. And I think a lot of times as Adventists, we, we focus a lot on information. But notice what this says. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the heart. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily by the most able discourse. So I remember we moved to this area, and maybe I shared this a while back, but we uh, got this place out in the country. We are 40 miles to the closest Adventist church. And we thought, wow, I bet you the Lord would like us to raise up a church around here. So we prayed about it. I says, Lord, give me a Bible study. Within a week, I met a guy named Ray Hill. Oh, Ray, he came out. We were just talking. He says, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? You know, he, he had all the evangelical ideas of prophecy and everything else. And almost everything he said, I disagreed with. But I didn't tell him I disagreed with him. I just asked, asked him about his life and, you know. Just trying to find an area to agree. You know, Ray, I believe the Lord's coming soon. Would you like to study the Bible? Oh, sure. 
And he did 90% of the talking. But I just asked him questions about his life and where he grew up and things like that. And him and I were just buddies. Three months later, he believed everything we believed. But if I had just stood there and I just argued every point, see what I'm saying? Your first business is to find a way to the heart. And you can't do that by talking about yourself. You've got to take an interest in other people and ask them about their life, which most people will share. But it's as you learn about their life, then you know the right word to say, right? To him who's weary. So you keep your relationship with Christ going, feeding yourself every day, thinking about how you might share things, what you're learning, things that can be informative or just words that are encouraging. But you're going to use them. If you get out on the front lines, you'll have a use for all these things, right? And God will lead you to people who are ready to run. And Ray was ready to run. And from that one Bible study, three months later, we had a church of 30 people, half were non-Adventists. Because God knew just who to give as a first Bible study. Is that right? But you start by appealing to the heart. And even this statement, I can't remember, I know it's a ministry of healing, but Christ would mingle with people as one who desired their good. He'd mingling, the mingling Jesus, getting to talk with people, and he'd just talk with them, and he asked some questions about them, and they knew that he cared for them, but the Pharisees didn't care, did they? No, they were just saying, I'm just so thankful I'm not like one of those, right, people? And so... Uh, but no, we've got to be we gotta care for people, Amen. right? So let's think a little bit about how people make decisions because the greatest science that you're ever gonna have is really knowing how to work with people, work with the human mind. Amen. And here's the thing we're all different. Every person's different. Different personalities, different interests, right? It's all different. But how to work. But there's something we all have in common. It's how we make decisions. So to make a right decision, you have to have right information, right? So let's just use the Sabbath as an example. So to help someone learn about the Sabbath, you would share text on the Sabbath, right? You'd go, you'd look at Genesis 2, I mean the creation story, right? You'd go to the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. You'd go to a a number of places. You could prove the Sabbath. They have information. Now, with that information, they're either going to be convicted over it or not. Is this true? And they say, okay, I'm convinced. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Right? But the next part of decision-making is desire. Just because a person's convinced that the Sabbath is the seventh day doesn't mean that they want to keep it. They may not want to keep it because family, work, friends, a current church family. It could be a lot of different reasons that could affect desire. Okay? So what does that person need? More Sabbath texts? No, they're already convinced about the Sabbath. And this is what we're talking about. The right word in the right season Salt, do they need more information or do they need to be more encouraged? Ah, it sounds like this person is going to need more encouragement. They don't really need to give more information. They already have all the information. This is part of human relationships. Where are you at in that relationship? What do people need? This is why we need to be attentive to what they need. They need more information. They need to be encouraged. 
because ultimately you want them to become a, a disciple. But we take them right where they are, right where they're, where they're weary. We meet them right where they're at to meet those needs right there. And after a time, after you meet those needs, you say, come, hey, come with me. Let's follow Jesus. But there comes a point with desire, even when they desire to keep the Sabbath, they still have to make that choice themselves. You can't make the choice for them. So let's look at some what we call desire texts. And let's just say Mike is, not this Mike, I'm sorry, <laughs> maybe I'll use another one. <laughs> Mike is wondering about keeping the Sabbath. He knows it's the Sabbath, but what does he need? He needs more encouragement. And you say, well, in John 13, 17, if you know these things, what? Because right now, Mike's not really happy because of the problems he might have in the family of keeping the Sabbath. But he has to be assured that by making the right decision, ultimately, he's going to be what? He will be the happiest by doing the right thing, the right way, in the right spirit, right? Okay? And then Jesus says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it. Because ultimately, that's what you even want for them. And if they really knew, that's what they'd want for themselves. But desire might be affected by some immediate, you know, criticism. But this is where we've got to assure people, you know, but if you take that step, you're going to experience life more abundantly. And that's what life's about, is to experience it more abundantly. God wants us to be happy. But remember, we go back a sermon ago, the only way to be happy and to give God's glory is to follow all his laws. Not just the Ten Commandments. Laws of health, mental laws, right? Here's some other desire texts. Mike doesn't have a lot of peace about it because of the conflict, but you say, think about this, Mike. Can I read this you verse John 14, 27? And it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You say, Mike, you don't have a lot of peace about this right now, do you? No, I don't. But you know where the peace comes from? True peace comes from above, doesn't it? And God will give that peace to everyone who makes their decision to do the right thing for God. And you'll have a peace that the world doesn't even know about. They can't know about it because it comes from above. But if you want that kind of peace, in which there's no hatred, there's nothing, there's no envy, it's just pure love, peace in the heart, you'll have that because you'll be right with God. That's the peace we need. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And yet they're thinking about all the offense that might take place. But no, it's just the opposite. Maybe in the world that with God you have great peace, and God will work things out. You just be that loving servant, always saying things with grace and like seasoned salt. Let God take care of the rest. Is that a fair statement? And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that what? See, this is why it's so important, Mike, to obey, because 
Where are we going to go without the Holy Ghost? What could we even become without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey, and the more you choose to obey, the more of the Holy Spirit you're going to have. It's all proportional. That's a key word. Do you realize that? We receive the Holy Spirit proportional to our desire and our faith exercised for it. You will have the Holy Spirit based upon your desire to be like Jesus. If you want to be completely like Jesus, oh boy, you're going to receive a lot of power. But if you only want to be a little bit like Jesus, you're not going to get a little bit of power. Is that a fair statement? And it's not just based on your desire, because there's a lot of people who desire to be like Jesus, but they never exercise their faith to be like Jesus. But here's God's promise. If you wake up in the morning and you not only have a desire to be like Jesus, but you exercise your faith to be like him, you take the time to study his perfect life. You take the time to pray about it and contemplate it and desire it. Then you will be filled. It's not just based on a desire. It's these two things. You've got to want it. And in wanting it, you need to exercise your faith to obtain it. It's not works. God's the one that's leading you to reach out to him. Otherwise, if he didn't woo in our heart, we would never reach out to God. We'd all just walk away. It's our response to him wooing to us. He says, "I I want to study with you. I want to be there. I want to guide you. And if you exercise your faith to be taught, you're simply going to receive more and more of the Spirit, which means you're becoming more and more like Christ. You're becoming more and more like God created us to be as social beings. We'll be the best friend to somebody, the best spouse, the best this that we could possibly be because we're growing in the Spirit and becoming like Christ. See, that's just all part of being human. That's how God made us. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And you say, Mike, I know right now you don't feel very comfortable about this. But that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the comforter who will give you peace, even though you see this as almost an insurmountable decision, that you do the right thing, and God will take care of the rest. Okay? I really like this one. This is, this is a little different as a desire text. But think about it. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses, next in line to Pharaoh, would have probably been the second wealthiest man in the world, leader, commander of the superpower of the ancient world. He says, you know, that doesn't mean anything. I would rather suffer with the people of God. If that's my choice, wealthiest, most powerful man, or to suffer with the people of God, I'm going to suffer with the people of God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. 
And Moses wasn't the first man to make that decision, and he wasn't the last. But this is one of those desires, and you say, Mike, sometimes making the choices isn't about keeping a big money job. Whatever that suffering might be, whatever that might be, it is better, it is better to be with God's people even if it meant giving up some earthly things, right? It's simply better as a motivator. You know, people are watching us, and if we get far enough in the sermon, but what shall a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, let's look at something else here. It says in Romans 14, 7, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. And that makes sense because God created us as social beings, right? And we were, we were never designed to just live for ourselves. Every act of our lives affects others for good or evil. Every, everyone, every act. Our influence is tending upward or downward. It is felt, it's felt, and people really feel it, acted upon, and to a greater or lesser degree, it's being reproduced by others. So you've got to be so careful what you say or what you do because people are watching. They're going to do the same thing you're doing. If, by our example, we aid others in the development of good principles, we give them what? Power to do good. Isn't that amazing? When you do the right thing by word and action, you are actually empowering other people to do good. That's your influence, the influence of all of us equally, right? In their turn, they exert the same beneficial influence upon others. And thus, hundreds and thousands are affected by our unconscious influence. It's not the amount of people you help. Because if you help even one person, by example, in kind words, you may have already set in motion a thousand kindnesses. Because they'll wind up reciprocating that to someone else. Duplicating, I should say. And that's what we want to do. You want to do something kind today because it won't stop there. Even if I pray for person A right now, I know by praying for person A, it affects more than just person A. Because if God answers that prayer, person A, what happens in their life is going to benefit people that they know. You see, right now, we're this close, I think, to the second coming. I don't know what this, how much this is. <laughs> I don't know if this is three years or two years. or. But you want to fill the rest of your life from today on, because that's all we got, with as many kindnesses as you can do. Is that right? Because from now on, you want to be able to look back on your life and not think about how many people served you. You want to look back in your life and see how many people God blessed you to serve. How many people you said something kind to that set in motion maybe a thousand kindnesses that will result in people experiencing and receiving everlasting life. Isn't that right? God didn't didn't create us to sit at home and watch television and we'll throw away our hours and our talents. He created you to be a blessing to other people. That's why we were made. And in a fallen world, it becomes all the more important. 
that we find useful labor in the vineyard. Forbearance. Manifest tender love and exercise judicious forbearance. If you see a good opportunity to make a sharp point, oh man, this would be a real good opportunity. Uh, it's better often to forbear. Uh, <laughs> don't take it. See, Jesus knew the faults of his disciples, but he spent most of his time building them up. If Jesus, I mean, he had a couple brothers that were the sons of thunder. Imagine what you could say about them. Why would he even waste his time? He had three and a half years with them or less. They didn't all follow him right away. How's he going to spend those three and a half years? How would you spend? You have to invest in them. They're the ones going to take over this church when you leave. You focus all on their faults. What kind of church are you going to have? But what if he just keeps building them up? Takes them out for training. Heal the sick. Preach the word. Ah, oh, it's a lot more hopeful future for the church, isn't it? And that's how Christ spent his time. You know, he could have looked at all the people out in the crowd and pointed out all their sins, but he says, you know, the kingdom of God is, is like this. And the kingdom of God is like this. And people are thinking, wow, if the kingdom of God is like that, then I need to be like that. Right? This is an interesting principle about human relationships. Paul said, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Did that mean that Paul compromised his faith? No, we know he didn't compromise his faith. He didn't compromise truth. So what is, what's he talking about? Becoming weak, to help the weak. Here we have a statement here in 1465. The religion of Christ does not require us to lose our identity of character, but merely to adapt ourselves in some measure to the feelings and ways of others. Many people may be brought together in a unity of religious faith whose opinions, habits, and tastes and temporal matters are not in harmony, but if they have the love of Christ glowing in their bosoms and are looking forward to the same heaven as their eternal home, they may have the sweetest and most intelligent communion together in a unity the most wonderful. So what's the key? Well, the key is going to be all of us wanting to be like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't mean we all have to like the color of the carpet. We just simply become adaptable. Isn't that right? Because we're all different Different backgrounds, different ages, different tastes. How are you going to get everybody to agree on everything? In fact, I don't know if you ever want to. Because that's part of it. You know, one of the things I like about our church board is not everybody agrees. A good church board is not something where everybody agrees. It's where people can share ideas. And people are respected for those ideas, and they come to some sort of agreement, Right? And then you move on because you're, you've got those majors, right? You, you're solid. You're all thinking of going to heaven. And it's all through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that ultimately is what binds us together. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you would confess a fault to someone if you did them wrong, right? But you wouldn't tell them everything you're thinking. You know, Greg, I had these terrible thoughts about you this week. (laughs) Here, let me just share a few with you. (laughs) No, I don't need to say anything like that to Greg, right? But if I did something wrong, I could ask Greg to forgive me, right? If you have committed one wrong and they 20, confess that one as though you were the chief offender. Isn't that quite a statement? Wow. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteously, and this is the last part I really want to focus on, and speaketh the truth, speaketh the truth in his heart, So look at this statement here. Pride and selfishness were laid aside. Five minutes would remove most difficulties. Angels have been grieved and God displeased by the hours which have been spent in justifying self. Do you know that some people in marriages, after ten years, are still justifying self? Everything that could have been done in just five minutes. Because you know, it only happens in this world. There's no other world where people try to justify themselves. So when I have done prison ministry, one of the first things I listen to is, I don't ask them why they're there. But if they start sharing and they start blaming someone else, then they're just what? Just justifying themselves. Because clearly they did something wrong or they probably wouldn't be there. Not to to say there aren't some cases where people don't belong there. But for the most part. So when people say, you know, I messed up. They don't mention anybody else. They just messed up. That is a sign of conversion. Isn't it? Absolutely. They're on the right road up here. They don't need to justify anything else. They just need to own up to their own fault. But speaking the truth in your heart is that when, instead of justifying self, just be true to yourself. In your heart, what you know is true, let that be the same as your speech, what you say. But don't let speech be self-justifying when you know you're you're wrong. If you've done wrong, you've done wrong. Just say you've done wrong. Okay? Five minutes. This was, I thought, good. One of them, this is speaking of the ten lepers, one of the ten that were healed by Jesus, when they saw that, when one of them saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at Jesus' feet, right? Giving him thanks, and he was a what? He was a Samaritan. And of course, the Gospel of Luke speaks, takes every story he knows about Samaritans, puts it in there, because he himself is a Gentile. But, We should be self-forgetful, ever looking out for opportunities, even in little things, to show gratitude for the favors we have received from others. Not just gratitudes from God, but if I spend my life just thinking more and more about myself, maybe I take some of that, just throw that away, or replace it with, I'm going to spend a little time thanking people who've done things for me. That'd be a good exchange, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It starts changing our thinking where we become more grateful and start stop thinking about ourselves, but we start thinking about 
other people. We start thinking about creating disciples and saying the right word. But part of that is just get, shifting from this self-forgetfulness, get from the self-forgetfulness and get into this gratitude. It is better to be a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. You know, of all the traits of Christ, certainly the love of Christ is, is number one. But we can have all of Christ. And for a fallen human being, I would put almost as number two, the humility of Christ. We're not born with humility, but we can have it. And so we can say, Father, will you give me the humility of Jesus so there's no more pride in my life? Allow pride to die here. I give you my pride. And may I have Christ's humility in exchange. Because if I have Christ's humility, it won't matter what you say about me. Is that right? And in the end of time, how are people going to talk about us? Oh, it's going to be some pretty nasty things. They won't be true. Enemies of the state. It's all your problems, all these things. And that's the nice things they'll say. And you'll need the humility of Jesus. Because if it's pride, pride rises up. Right? The humility. But we can have this every day. We can begin every day and say, Father, let me have the love of Jesus and the humility of Jesus so that I'm not offended today. Those who feel great may be lightly esteemed of God because of the perversity of their hearts. Our only safety is to lie low at the foot of the cross be little in our own eyes, and trust in God, for He alone can make us great. Yes. Amen. Yeah. You don't have to spend any time trying to make yourself great. That's right. Amen. You don't have to spend any time looking for a position. Yes. Just be at the foot of the cross. God will exalt you in time. Yes. And we can't just say exaltation means a position. That's not equivalent. Just being used in God's service yes. is our um, great joy. Whoops. Let me close up with this. But faith worketh by love. And this is how much we need to, in human relationships, pray for love. It is a true statement that when everybody in this room was born, you didn't love anybody in this room. Because you weren't born with that kind of love. But we can receive that kind of love. We weren't born with agape love. But we can be born again. Agape love comes from, from, it's the only place you can get it. You can't buy a self-help book or whatever. It won't work. We have to ask for it. If you ask not, you receive not. But if there's person A that I don't like, what am I going to do? I can't make myself love them. But I can say I know God loves them. God sent his own son to die for that person. So God loves that person, but I don't love that person. What am I going to do? I can give to Christ my anger or my hate and in exchange receive... His love. Amen. Is that how it works? Yes. Christ will share his love with us. Yes. 
But if I have only a little bit of love, I'm only going to have a what? Because faith worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. Faith has to be motivated by love. Otherwise, it doesn't work at all. If there's no love in my life for anybody, there is zero faith in my life. But if I start loving, show gratitude, kind words, kind deeds, thinking about how to help the weary, what am I doing? I'm not just becoming more loving, I'm growing in I'm growing in faith. Do you realize it, we're a group of people waiting to be persecuted in the end of time, but that's not the way we ought to be thinking. We don't need to be a paranoid group of people waiting to be persecuted. We need to be a group of people who are filling our lives up with as many kind and loving acts as we can because that's the only way you're going to get through that. You can't get through just because you know what's going to happen. You get through it because you've become the most loving person. And this is what Sister White says. He says, the last revelation of God to a fallen world is a revelation of his love. It's not even a Revelation 13 seminar. And as much as I love to preach prophecy, the last revelation of God is to love your enemies. To love the very people who are persecuting you. Because that is what gives them the best opportunity to accept this message. You can't return evil for evil and get this work done. You have to return good for evil to get this work done. And I know the world looks at that and says, well, that's not fair. Well, it's not about being fair. It's about being right. It's about being human. It's about human relationships. And if you want to have the best influence on someone else, it won't matter what they say about you or to you. You still have to respond with the love of Christ. Is this true? So this is just kind of a beginning of talking about some of these human relationships or mental health flaws, I should say. And I think we'll, we'll focus on this a little more, and then we'll, we'll move on. But we do need to know how the mind works, and, and the way the mind partly works is that we, is this to know that we need to be very social, and we need to start filling our life up with as many kind words and acts as we possibly can with the purpose of trying to help make labors for God. Before our closing prayer, we'll have our closing hymn, which is um, She'll Tell You. All right, our closing hymn today is going to be number 578, So Send I You. Number 578, we could all stand.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you created family, the human family, to be part of the heavenly family, of which there is love and joy and peace. But we live in this fractured little world where there's so much loneliness and hatred. So, Father, we thank you that you've sent us to try to bring healing, to plant seeds of truth, speak words of love, acts of kindness, to do some good that some might be saved. So, Father, we thank you and help each one of us to find time every day to be strengthened for the day. And then, Lord, use us in your service that we may see more laborers in your field. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.